0: and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. So glad you all decided to be with me today. I'm recording this earlier, but uh, when it goes live and when many of you will hear it first will be the week uh, after Father's Day in the United States. And so I want to take this opportunity for all of us to think about some memories about our moms and our dads. For a lot of us, the time that we spent with our moms and dads had a major impact on what we're like today. Our beliefs, our reaction, our response to things, what we value, how we treat other people, a lot of that came from our parents. My parents taught mainly by example, sometimes by words, the value of hard work and saving and being dependable, being on time, always doing more than what was expected of you, family, loyalty, belief in God as they knew him, the value of church, meeting together, encouraging one another, supporting each other, helping those in need and giving. All of those things I picked up from my parents, and I spent a lot of time with them both. They had similar values and beliefs, so the message I got was always the same. Now, I had really good parents. Of course, my parents weren't perfect. None of our parents were perfect. And most of us don't know at the time, sometimes till years later, sometimes never, how many things that our parents were dealing with in their own lives from their past, their hurts and losses and rejection and being judged, what they'd received from their parents and what they had taught and instilled in them by actions or words or both. My friend Paul Young, author of The Shack, talks about his previously strained relationship with his dad. And he talks about how he later on found out how his grandfather treated his dad, which was not good, and then related that to how his dad treated him. And he says, without judging, without condemning or criticizing, he says, you know, my dad just didn't have the chip to be a father. He didn't have the fathership. He said he came from a long line of dads who were never taught and never had a good relationship or a good model of fatherhood in their lives. That's a large part of what the story of the shack is about. It's about parents, different stages in their life. It is a fictional story, but it uh, really refers to things that happened in Paul Young's life. And Paul tells today, and when he's speaking, that he has since reconciled with his dad, and there's a great ending to that story. Now, while not everyone has a good relationship or a great relationship with one or both of their parents, I want to take this time today to celebrate the good things that we learned and experienced with our moms and dads. And in no way do I want this to be a, comparison deal or to cause anybody to think, oh, I wish I'd have had that kind of mom or dad, or I wish I had been that kind of mom or dad. No, that's not my point or my intention today at all. Some of us learned about love from our parents, and most of it not from what they said, but how they actually loved. Some of us learned about joy from our parents. Again, not so much about what they said about joy, but how they actually lived. A lot of us learned about peace from our parents. We learned about patience from our parents. And I tell you what, I sure gave my parents many opportunities to uh, demonstrate patience with me. And most of the time they did. A lot of us learned about kindness from our moms and dads, and goodness and gentleness. A lot of us learned about faith from our parents. A lot of us learned about compassion from our parents. Some of us learned about grace from our parents. And again, boy, I gave my mom and dad multiple opportunities to give me grace. We learned about mercy from our parents. Now, a lot of these things we didn't learn by words that they said, but by how they actually lived and how they acted. And again, they weren't perfect They had their own issues to deal with and stuff. And as a result, some of us didn't learn these things or we learned incorrect ideas of what love is. Some of us learned that love was unconditional from our parents, which I did. I was so grateful for that. But a lot of people— Got the impression and learned from their parents that, no, love is conditional. You have to earn it. You have to merit it. If you don't do things just right, we'll withhold our love and affection from you. So many of the things that we know today, we learn from our parents, good or bad. My wife, Kitsie, and her four siblings recently completed a family picture book based on the 47 years in a row collection of personalized picture Christmas cards that her dad made starting back in, I think, in the late 20s, maybe early 30s. And he was way ahead of his time as a photographer and things like that. And at the end of this book, there are a lot of comments in the book about different things and where the family was and the different times and stuff like that. But at the end of that book, there was an opportunity, and most everybody in the family did, share some things about their parents, their moms and their dads. I want to read some words that my wife, Kitsy said about her mom. She was really close to her mom. She said, our mother had a very sweet and tender heart. She spoke kindly of everyone, or didn't speak of them at all. She had a cute sense of humor, and every time she smiled, her eyes twinkled and danced. I loved being with her. I often sat in the kitchen with her as she fixed dinner. I would chatter away while she listened and encouraged me. One time we were being silly, and she hit me over the head with a frying pan. We were both shocked at the force of her blow and immediately burst out laughing. I often saw her reading her Bible in the evening. I think that, coupled with her daily living, played a big role in my faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. Kitsy says, it was obvious to me that both our parents, they were so much in love. They were very respectful of one another and often showed their love by holding hands and sharing little kisses and sitting close while watching TV. She said, I'm so blessed that the Lord chose them to be my parents. Now, Kitsy's dad died before our son was born, and our girls were very little. So they didn't really get to know their grandfather. But here's what Jody wrote about her grandmother. She said, I remember Grammy's laugh. She enjoyed being with her family and laughing at their antics and stories. I remember when she moved to Lawrence, and I, that was the last year of her life. She'd gone to school at KU in the 1920s, lived in Missouri, St. Louis most of that time, and in Sun City, Arizona. And she came back to spend the last year of her life with us in Lawrence, which was really a wonderful time. And Jody got to hang out with her. She said, I, I remember painting her nails and learning about her past. I especially like the story of how she and Papa met. I also loved having her at my wedding. It was a wonderful thing to share that special day with her. As for me, with my wife's family, and again, I, I'm not going to get into my parents today. I had a great relationship with them, and I don't want it, this to be all about me. But Kitsy's mom, Myron and Marie, were always so gracious, so wonderful and accepting of me and my all of my family. And my only regret is that I didn't get to know them nearly long enough. And again, her dad died some 20 years before her mom died. And during that last year that Marie was here in Lawrence with us, it was a great special blessing for me and our kids, Stacy and Jody and Jay, as well as Kitsy. Marie was the perfect example of a lady, and she always encouraged us all. One of my fondest memories with her, uh, the last year of her life, she moved here the fall of that year. It was uh, an unusually warm time, and Kitsy brought her to our church that day. I get there early because I'm a pastor. Our church was downtown then, and family all sat together, and and I spoke and probably played trumpet with the worship team and stuff like that. And then at the end, after we'd greeted people and they'd left, we were getting ready to go out for Sunday dinner that day, and it was an unseasonably warm fall day, beautiful. The trees were beautiful and everything. And I said to her—she was 92 at the time—I said, when was the last time you rode in a convertible with the top down? And she said, "Ah, I can't remember. Can we do that? <laughs> and her smile stayed for the entire ride, probably 10 minutes or so, to our Sunday dinner. And it made my day. One more from that uh, Christmas book. Kitsy's brother Owen said, I look back on my life of 74 years, that was a couple of years ago, and I can honestly say that I can see how my parents influenced every one of the days of my life. He said, Of course, at the time I was growing up, I knew that I knew more than they did. What I didn't know was that what they were teaching me was sinking in. I can only thank them now for their patience, strength, and knowing. Well, Kitsy's parents were. Indeed special, as were mine. And they were special grandparents and mothers-in-law and fathers-in-law. But they weren't perfect. None of our earthly parents are. However, the good news is we do have perfect spiritual parents, ultimate parents, who have always been our parents. Scripture tells us that God is the father of everyone, and the Holy Spirit is actually feminine. In the Hebrew language, the word for spirit, Holy Spirit, was feminine. The Aramaic, which is what Jesus and the disciples spoke, the spirit was spirit. When they referred to Holy Spirit, they referred to a feminine spirit. Now, we know God is spirit. They're not male or female, but they created us in their image, in their likeness. So it's both male and female there. And they are one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are our perfect teacher and our perfect parents. I want you to see what the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, who was Jesus' closest friend here on earth, what he said. Here's some passages from the mirror translation of 1 John, starting out with uh, chapter 2, verses 20 to 29. He says, the Christ anointing in you, an anointing is the gift of grace, the divine enablement that empowers you to be all God has made you to be and do all God's called you to do. The empowering, the anointing of grace in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is evidence that you echo what you carry. The Holy Spirit in you has made Jesus tangible in your life, and you see clearly. John says, my writing to you is not to question your perception of the truth, but to endorse it. And then he gives this caveat, no form of deception can possibly coexist with truth. He says, make that which you have heard from the beginning." What you heard about God, who God is, who you are, and who all people are, who you have always been before the foundational world. Make that your permanent reference. The same constant that is enjoyed in the fellowship of the father and son is yours. And I want to kind of key in on fellowship for the rest of our time here. John goes on to say, this is the essence of the life of the ages, which he has announced and purposed from the beginning. And Francois, the translator, puts in parentheses here, amazing thoughts to consider that our father, who knew us individually, completely, long before he formed us, is the same engineer, with a capital E, who knew every minute detail of our being as we grew mystically in the secret sanctuary of our mother's womb. He knows us now and longs to introduce us to ourselves again so that we may know ourselves even as we have always been known by God. John goes on to say this, My intention with this writing is to nullify the influence of those who wish to unsettle you, those whose minds are darkened and who live in the darkness and miss the mark of God's unconditional love, grace, inclusion, and acceptance and oneness for all people those who want you to believe and adhere to their man-made doctrines of how to gain and maintain a right standing with God, the right standing that you already have. See, John is saying, look, people are going to try to tell you that God's not all good, God's not all loving. Well, yeah, he loves you, but he's also wrath and anger and keeps a great list and can't stand you, really. No, get rid of that stuff. He says, I'm convinced that the effect of his touch within you is Permanent. This is the Christ anointing that teaches you all things so that you don't need any teacher, any human teacher, whose doctrine does not resonate with the truth in you. Deception can't compete with spirit resonance. So he goes on to say, so now, just like an infant in a mother's embrace, abide. Now, here's a key word to focus on. Abide, which means to dwell in seamless union with. Today, we would say to hang out hang out with God in this place of innocence, where his manifest appearance is meant to be fully realized and echoed in unashamed utterance. In his immediate presence, there exists no sense of shame or any form of separation. People will try to tell you that you're separated from God, that God's not even your father until you ask him to be your father. Don't pay any attention to that kind of stuff. He says, to perceive God's righteousness as defining his I am-ness concludes that everyone is born of him, everyone, and everyone inherently partakes of the same pattern in poetry that his righteousness inspires. Righteousness is our true genesis, who we have always been. See, righteousness, right standing with God, is where we came from who we were created to be and existed even before the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit spoke the universe into creation. And as we hang out with them, they will have, like our earthly parents, a major impact on what we're like, and it will all be good. And we'll grow to live like who we really are. Just like Jesus is in this world, so are we. John says in verse John four seventeen, we will live and embody unconditional love and all its myriad of expressions, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, the faith of Christ, Holy Spirit, power, mercy, compassion, grace, and so much more. By hanging out with them, spending time with them, abiding in them, being in fellowship and communion with them, we'll learn that all of these things that I just mentioned are not things that we have to strive to get right or to become. They're not rules to follow. They're not commands that will be judged and condemned and punished by God for because we don't get them right. No, not at all. Grace in us Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the divine power that continually energizes us and empowers us to live as Christ and actually lives as us. Christ does. As he is in this world, so are we. So as we abide with him and hang out with him and spend time with him and learn that we're one with him, we'll find ourselves living love, giving love, receiving love being joyful, being at peace, being patient, all of these things. And as a result, we won't be critical or judgmental or condemning and excluding of other people. Now, time is a really important thing here. I'm not talking about spending time reading and studying the Bible. You know, don't you, that the Bible is not the fourth person of the Trinity. That's another story. Reading and studying the Bible can be good, when you know the truth about who God is and you read it with a Christocentric lens. And I'm not talking about taking time going to church, not talking about taking the time going through a list of prayer requests, not talking about reading good books about God. I mean, those can all be good things, especially my books about God. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But I'm talking about living in seamless union with, relating to, interacting with, listening to, hanging out with, talking to, living as one, oneness in action, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 24-7, 366 in this leap year. That's what Papa love, Jesus love, and Holy Spirit love created you for, and they what they want above anything else for you. That's their greatest desire that you experience them 24-7, and they're totally good. That's also where we experience times that become... Wonderful memories. I write down things that Papa, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit say to me about them and about me and other people. I actually put those in a book called Notes from Papa. And I encourage you all to write things down that you hear from God and keep them in a little folder or notebook or something like that and, and go over them periodically. That's like remembering fun times that you had with your parents, your grandparents, and keeping the memory of those things and building on it. All right. For those of us whose moms and dads, in my case, who are no longer living, do you ever wish that you had them back so you could tell them how much you love them and appreciate them, and especially now that you maybe learn more about their life and things that they were going through that you didn't know about before? Well, most of us feel that way. Well, there's good news. I want to start to wrap things up here. You know, when pastors say, I'm going to finish now, that doesn't mean they're going to finish. But I'm going to start to wrap things up now by telling you what you and I and all our moms and dads and kids and grandkids have to look forward to. After we take our last breath in this human life, we will all be changed in an instant and we'll have new, perfect, ageless bodies I believe that we'll be like in our prime when Jesus resurrected, 33 years old, and we'll be in the presence of the Trinity, Papa love, Jesus love, Holy Spirit love, where we have always been. We will be surrounded and immersed in their divine triune circle dance of love and all of its many expressions that I've talked about before. Our minds and our perception and our understanding will be restored to our original true mindset about God, ourselves, and all other people. Now, while there's no time, per se, in eternity, it could seem like it takes a while for us to be changed if we resist that truth, if we resist that unconditional love. And if we should resist it, we're still there in the presence of the Trinity's pure, white-hot, blazing, fiery, relentless, passionate love for us. The fact that we might resent it and resist it doesn't change the fact that it's there and it's true. If we do resist for however long that takes, knowing that there's no time in eternity, the time that we do resist will seem like hell to us. It'll be like the older brother and the prodigal son, where I believe that's Jesus' greatest teaching on what heaven and hell is. That prodigal boy, while his dad, the father, Papa God, was holding a huge party, a celebration for the prodigal son, the other one who'd gone away and not done good things. But the father welcomed him back with open arms, didn't even mention anything he'd done before restored him to full relationship, which he'd already had, full position in the family. He was having this party for him, and the older brother got upset. He didn't think the boy deserved it. As a matter of fact, he thought the boy deserved to be stoned to death after he was ridiculed and all of that for a while. And so the older boy got angry at God for being so good and for including people he didn't think ought to be included at the party. But remember what happened? Papa Love stayed with that older boy outside the party in the midst of that boy's anger and judgment and resistance and rejection of Papa Love. And Papa just stayed there with him and continually reassured him that all he has is his, always has been, and always will be. Now, that's where the story ends in Luke 15. So we don't know exactly what happened or how long they were out there. But we know this. Here's what Paul wrote at the end of the love chapter, of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love, God's love never fails. God's love never fails. And he says, in the end, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And love is the greatest of these, unconditional love that never fails. Those three, faith, hope, and love remain at the end of our human life. Now, this week, Papa asked me a question as we were hanging out, spending time together. He said, Paul, he brought that passage to mind. He says, what does not remain? And I was thinking for a while. I said, Lord, tell me what doesn't remain. And he said, fear, doubt, unbelief, stubbornness, resistance, rejection. You know, God never rejects us. And any rejection we have of God, will not remain. God is all-powerful. To think that we have more power than God, to think that we have power to outlast or defy or overcome God's perfect love that never fails, it's to be delusional. It's to think that we're more powerful than God, and that would make us God and Him not. Wouldn't it? every knee will freely bow and every tongue will freely confess will agree with will say the same thing that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God now I want you to think about this in the next life in the afterlife in the next dimension which is actually going on right now who will you be with in a divine triune circle dance of eternal love well of course Papa love Jesus love Holy Spirit love will be there and your mom Your dad, your grandparents, all those who've gone before you, all those who go after us, and they will all have been changed, and they will all know and embrace and be celebrating who they and you have always been, are, and always will be. It will be an amazing time. This past May, May the 6th. My son-in-law, my daughter Jody's husband, Brandon, tragically died after a year-long battle with cancer, Ewing sarcoma. And Brandon was our associate pastor, youth pastor. We were really good friends, and we had a lot of the same interest and spent time together and everything. And Brandon graduated from an alternative seminary that was a great place and taught him a lot of things, taught him to question things. And one of the things that Brandon said after he knew that his days in this life were numbered, he said, you know, I think maybe that when we wake up on the other side, maybe everybody, no matter when it was, 6,000 years ago or tomorrow or yesterday, maybe we'll all mystically realize at the same time in the next life who God really is, who we are and who all people are. Well, since there's no time per se in eternity, Something like that could be possible. But however it works out, we know justice will have been done. For those of you who want justice, like the older boy did in the prodigal thing, justice will have been done. Maybe not justice like you thought. In the original language of the Bible, both Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, the word that we translate justice means making all things right for all people. That's what the word originally meant. When the writers of the Bible wrote, that's what it meant to them. It wasn't until 300 years after Jesus died that the Roman penal justice system made the church, the Roman Catholic church, part of the government, really, made it the official religion and started presenting an incorrect picture of God and an incorrect picture of the afterlife and came up with this heinous man-made proposition of eternal conscience torment from God. Not at all. That doesn't exist. Justice, real justice will be done. and a matter of fact, it's already been done, which is making all things right for all people. John wrote this in 1 John 2.12. He said, I remind you, dear children, your sins have been permanently removed because the power of Jesus' name. 1 John 3, 1 and 2, he says, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. He's saying that to you right now. It's true of you and everybody. He said, beloved, we are God's children right now. Now, it's not yet apparent what we will become, but we do know that when it's finally made visible, we will be just like Jesus, for we will see him as he truly is, and we will know ourselves as we have always been known. He says in 1 John two thirteen, I remind you, fathers and mothers, you have a relationship with the one who has existed from the beginning. Your relationship with God has been since the beginning and we will all be totally reconciled to God and to all other people. So I picture that we'll be at that great ongoing banquet table with the best food and wine ever celebrating with those who may have hurt us, may not have had the mother chip or the father chip, or may have had so much baggage in their own life that they just couldn't really do well with us. Those who may have abandon us or condemn us or withheld love and affection in order to control us. Everyone will be together. We will all be reconciled to God and to each other. At the end of the book in the movie, The Shack, Jesus takes Mac, the central character in the story who's representing Paul Young, who Mac couldn't seem to forgive his dad because his dad hurt him Terribly and hurt his mom terribly. And Mac just, he, he couldn't forgive him. That's the primary reason why Mac was taken there on that weekend with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to the shack. Well, Jesus, while he's there at night, takes Mac up to the top of a hill. It's a beautiful night, and this unbelievable supernatural setting. They're up on the top of a hill. I picture it like a, a hill about the size of Mount Orient at the University of Kansas where we lived. And you can see down in this beautiful valley, and in the movie, you can see there are countless shining lights, which make it appear like one big light, but you can tell that they're all little individual lights. And that turns out to be all people who've ever lived. And one of those, Mac's dad, who Mac's having such a trouble forgiving, and But Jesus and the Holy Spirit and Papa have been helping him with that. Mac's dad comes out of this group of all humanity and starts walking towards him. And Mac feels drawn to him. And they embrace. And they talk. And they experience ultimate reconciliation in Christ. And Paul Young says that he wrote that to be a picture of his own reconciliation with his dad. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There'll be no more tears, no regret, no animosity, no judgment, no condemnation. There will only be perfect relationship, perfect oneness and union, pure pure love, joy, and peace. The greatest of these is love. It will be, and it is, heaven for all people. Well, I am going to finish now, for real. I want to go back to that Christmas card book of my wife, Kitsie, and her parents. Kitsie's older brother, Lyle, Lyle Wagoner, was an actor and businessman. He just passed away a few months ago. And he was a great guy, absolutely wonderful guy. He was on the Carol Burnett show from its beginning and for the next several years. And at the end of every show, Carol would sing, I'm so glad we had this time together. And she would... Subtly tug on her ear, which she says was to remind her grandmother, who she was really close to, that she was okay. Well, at this time today, this time that we've had talking about our moms and our dads, our ultimate reconciliation with them, and our spiritual parents Jesus love, Papa love, and Holy Spirit love I'm so glad that we had this time together. See you next time, everybody, on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode, and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.